0: Oh God, it is is a wonderful honour and privilege to meet with your people in your name, to worship and praise your greatness. Father, we thank you as well that you speak to us through your living word, and we pray now that your Holy Spirit will speak clearly to us, that your spirit will give us humility and wisdom to discern how we are best to respond to your word. So please help us now, we pray in his name, for your glory. Amen. I want to read these uh, three quotes to you that I found this week. First quote, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians. don't know if that's true or not. Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips walk out of the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply unbelievable there's another quote we make time for what we truly value we build habits and routines around the things that really matter to us this is an important principle to understand as we seek to build our lives around the gospel do you want a cross-centered life a cross-centered life is made up of cross-centered days and then this final one i think it's benjamin franklin How many observe Christ's birthday? How few his precepts. Titus 2. Well, the book of Titus, I've said, is the path to godliness. But Titus 2 in particular is all about Christian living. In contrast to chapter 1 verse 10, those rebellious people who were full of meaningless talk and deception... And remember, it's these people who were infiltrating the church, but more than that, literally turning people's lives, families' lives, verse 11, upside down. Families were being taken and just thrown upside down in what they believe. Titus 2 is all about Christian living in contrast to these types of people. Paul is describing, I think, proper Christian uh, behavior that is rooted in the gospel, that is stark contrast to the false teachers, but in line with the principles for godly leaders. So actually, some of the similarities of what he says in chapter 1 to to godly leaders is in chapter 2 as well. Because actually, godliness is for every Christian, not just for those in positions of leadership. You see, Paul knows that a right doctrine leads to a right behavior. And that's what Paul's doing in chapter 2. He's describing proper, biblical, godly behavior, but he's rooting it firmly in the gospel. Verses 1 to 10, focus on gender and age groups within the church. Verses 11 to 14, on gospel basics the theology of what the behaviour is built on. And then verse 15, this wonderful sort of summary command to Titus. Let me ask us tonight, do we think much? I talked this morning about how we praise God and give thanks to God. Do we think much about our behaviour? If you've got children, you know that we spend much time pointing out their behaviour as I seem to have done all day today, there's nothing worse when a child turns around and points out your behaviour. My daughter is very good at that. But it's also hard when perhaps as husbands, and we we're quite manly, and our wives pull us to one side and say, it's not the right way, is it? And that stubborn nature comes across to say, don't tell me what to Whereas really, you're actually thinking you're absolutely right, but I'm not going to admit it. And of course, as godly husbands, we would never speak to our wives like that. We'd give them gentle encouragement for how amazing they are. But you know, our lives are built around behavior, the way we act. The things that we do show an awful lot about us. But yet, how much time do we honestly give to thinking about the way we behave? Often when we do, it makes us think, doesn't it, about who we really are. Well, let's look at this passage. Let's look firstly at verses one to ten: behaviour in the church, in, in in the church, and out of it. As you uh, know, I'm a, a great fan of uh, psychology today, um, and read it lots. But uh, I was reading this week on behaviour. Professor Ben Fletcher. He says this on behaviour: it's long been thought that to change, that to change, we have to radically alter the way we think. That's not as easy as it sounds. Furthermore, psychological interventions that target thinking are not the answer to all problems. Perhaps it's time for psychology to change if it is to fulfil its promises. His response further down, uh, you only ever have to read the first bit and the last bit, and that tells you everything. All the bits in between are just babble to me, but you read the first bit, what they want to say, read the last bit where they sum it up, and that's, that's, how, it, that's how I was taught to do essays anyway. Uh, <laughs> But what he says is this, his response and diagnosis is not thought that needs to change, but our behaviour. He says if you make small changes to your behaviour, you will see a difference in your life. Because it's too difficult to change what we think. Yet here's Paul writing to this church in Crete who is challenging them both in what they think and how they behave. He's saying you need to alter how you think, and you need to alter how you behave. And humanly speaking, the professor would say that that's too hard. But you see, for the Christian, whose life has been transformed by chapter 1, verse 1, we know that it is possible for our thoughts to be changed and our behavior to be changed. Because, verse 1, Paul are servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life. Paul said it's really in only addressing our thoughts our knowledge of God, our understanding of his word, the truth that he has given us, that that will change our behavior. And we know as Christians that it is by God's power, his spirit, as we seek to grow in knowledge and understanding that our hearts and our lives will be changed to be more like Christ because Christ is our example Paul does two things. He addresses the men of the church, and he addresses the women of the church. The similarities, but there are also distinctions. But in all that Paul says, his basis of teaching is found in verse 1. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Some have argued that The behaviour commanded in these verses by Paul is not universally required, but solely linked to the culture he was writing to. And they argue that the ground for this behaviour is to avoid offence. But verse 1 roots this behaviour not in cultural ideas, but in sound doctrine. In sound doctrine itself, because that is what will ultimately define our behaviour in God's eyes. For truth, chapter 1, verse 1, equals godliness. If we live for truth, to grow in truth, verse 1 of chapter 1 tells us that it will lead to behaviour that is appropriate for our God and for our King, the Lord Jesus. Well, let's uh, look at the women first. We'll deal with those before we deal with the men and the uh, womeny bits are in verses 3 to 5 and notice how Paul puts older women and younger women together and i think the link there is Paul's desire to see older women teach uh, the younger women within the church <laughs> Paul's directives here are linked to what was going on in Crete as well probably uh, responding to problems responding verse uh, to chapter 1 verse 12 Cretans are always liars evil brutes lazy gluttons the good for nothing people and the danger is that in, a, in, the, in the lives of Christians, those who have become Christians, they can still be doing things in the ways of the world. That's why Paul's address, addressing behavior. Yes, they've got the gospel, but they need to go further. They need to allow the gospel, the truth of the gospel, to change their lives. Now the mature ladies, likewise, verse 3, teach the older women. I was trying to, I think I've heard several uh, responses to what it means to be an older man here or an older woman. Some say older in, uh, in maturity, uh, some say older in age. Either way, I think uh, older men, I never got to find out what the, the age for a woman was, but an, to be classed as an older man was about 60 in, uh, in, in those days, apparently. So I see we've got a few men over the age of 60, so very sorry, but you will be classed as the older men. Alternatively, you could just see it as worthy, maturer men, and uh, and that that might make you feel a little bit better. (laughs) But you see, mature Christian ladies in the church, whatever age they are, they wouldn't be practicing what they believed, would they, if they were living irreverent lives, if they were slanderers, their speech was all over the place. Or well, they were known to be too keen on the sherry. People wouldn't look at them and think, wow, what a, what, a, what a godly example for me to follow. They wouldn't be seen to be different to the world. And the same with the older men. Young Christians look up to older Christians. It was always older Christians in the churches that I grew up in that made a difference in my life as a young Christian. Or in someone seeking to understand what Christianity meant. I always used to look to the men. I remember as a teenager. And you could tell the godly men. There was a, a, a wonderful uh, man, I think he's gone to be with the Lord now when I grew up, called Peter Calvin. What a godly man. I used to see him and he used to pull me to one side. Are you trusting Jesus, Matthew? Say it to me. Are you following in his ways? How are you doing? Keep going. Come on, it's tough. He used to pull me to one side all the time. I thought, why is he pulling me to one side? I, thought, well, I could understand really. But he made it such a point to encourage the younger people. And there were others too. But he always used to look at them and think, wow, you can see something of Jesus in them. Not just because they encourage, encouraged, but by the way they lived their lives. And Paul is saying it to the, the older women, look. Being a Christian means living the way you are. means living in light of the gospel. Teach what is good. Then, verse 4, they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, to be pure, busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Older Christian women, be, be examples to younger Christian women. Help them. Life's hard, but encourage them. And Paul is wanting to see the older Christian women and encourage younger Christian women to be godly in their their marriages. As mothers in the home, he's encouraging that sort of family life based on and in the gospel. I'm not going to harp on about being a homemaker, ladies, you're okay. But it is sad, isn't it, in the 21st century that being a homemaker is mocked today. You speak to our Emma. She gets stick off her family. When are you going to get a job? When are you going to earn some real money? Why are you still at home? It's sad that, that we've become so worldly. That Something that God gave women the ability to have children and, and, and nurture them and grow them <laughs> up. That, that, that we're not allowed to enjoy that anymore. I'm not condemning people who don't do that, who have gone to work. But all I'm saying is there is so much pressure from society today that we can't have people, mothers, who stay in the home. But he is. He's encouraging this family life based on and in the gospel. And do you know what, older women? You've got real opportunities in this church because we've got lots of young Christian women How much time do we seek, or do you seek, to encourage them? To get them round for coffee and say, right, come on. I was going to say, have you cleaned your house today? But no, I won't say that. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know how tempted that was going to roll off my tongue then? But we can do. How's your godliness going? We don't really see that older, younger, do we not? We don't see it in the church as much as we should. But we've got this wonderful church family here at St. Stephen's where we can encourage that and we should encourage that. It's a wonderful privilege. Paul's saying, come on, let's get our behaviour right and let's encourage godliness within each other. And then Paul talks about the men. He talks about the older men in verse 2. And then the younger men in verses 6 through to 8. And in verse 2, I think Paul's painting this... Wonderful picture of Christian dignity and vibrant faith towards the older men of the church. Do we see that in our older men of the church? Do we see that vibrant faith and that and that Christian dignity, that behavior that you can see within them? I think we do. I think we do see that. But Titus is to Show and teach older men lovingly how they are to behave still. They're to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and endurance. I do like that last word. I love the word endurance, perseverance. I think the other characteristics that, that Titus is to encourage in this church will always flow to that. The way we will keep going to the end of our lives. As Christians, we know he's ultimately behind what we know we believe and how that will change us. But, but, but being temperate, being gentle and worthy of respect, self-control, sound in faith in love and in, in endurance. That's the challenge for the older men within the church family. But younger Christians, younger Christian men have responsibilities, too, in verses 6 to 8. Similarly, encourage the younger men to be self-controlled, and young men do need to be self-controlled today. In everything, set them, he's talking to Titus now, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. He's saying, Timothy, you've got a great bunch of young men in the church. Young men sometimes need to rein it in a little bit. I'm trying to. 36, but I still feel a young man. I still feel I've got a lot to learn and a long way to go. And we do need to rein it in a little bit at times. Get over excited, you know. I, I speak to young Christian men who, who, who struggle with living in the world, struggle with purity, godliness. Want to be great. If every mature, older Christian man in the church got alongside a younger Christian man, said, so let's meet up once in a while. Let's talk about the struggles we go through. Let's talk about the difficulties. And so let me pray for you. Let me encourage you. Paul then verse 9 even teaches the slaves as well, the Titus, to teach the slaves. It's great to know that there were Christian slaves and they were part of the church family too. Within Christian families were to presume but teach slaves, verse 9, to be subject to their masters in everything. To try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. So that they in every way will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. Now in all this direction, whatever Paul is saying here, there's one principle that I don't want us to miss. I missed it at first. It was only when I came back to it and did a bit more reading on it that I actually saw this principle. Because in all that Paul is saying about behavior, what is vitally important is the result of godliness. There is a purpose for this way of life. Look in verse 5. At the end of verse 5, when he's talking to the women, so that no one, people outside of the church, people inside the church, that no one will malign the Word of God. So that they they see what we talked about last week, what people believe is consistent with the way they behave. The goal is that people don't malign the Word of God. Verse 8. In everything, verse 7, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, a soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. So that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say to us. So actually in your teaching and your behavior, may they be the same. So that we set an example to those in the church who were being probably led astray, to people outside of the church perhaps who were putting pressure on them to change. Actually, what you think and what you believe, live it out so that people can't say anything about us. goes back to that first quote, doesn't it? The biggest cause of people not to believe are often Christians. Because they say one thing, yet do another. I remember teaching, crikey, when I was uh, in Blackburn, so I'll have been about 20, I was teaching the Bible one Sunday morning. And, we were, it, was, and it was Corinthians or Titus, but we were talking about behaviour. And I remember saying to the congregation, there was a pub across the road, and I was saying, you do know our young people, So our young people weren't very good. They were always out late. They do watch you when you're rolling out of the pub on a Friday and a Saturday night So you've never seen as many red faces in the church. I say, they do see that and they even question if this is right. Kids from the worst estates in Blackburn say, is that right? Is that, is that all right to be stumbling out of the pub drunk as a skunk? People watch us. People see what we're doing. We can say one thing, yet act in another way. But such living keeps Christians from giving any legitimate grounds for the gospel to be criticized or condemned. Paul says if the church is sorted out, if the church is behaving in light of what they believe, it will only promote goodness, good things about Christianity. It will become more attractive, verse 10 Often the problem why people don't want to know is because they see too many Christians living the wrong way. But then Paul moves on to gospel basics in verses 11 to 14. He sort of gives the theological basis for the lifestyle, uh, this behavior that he has described. You see, the grace of God that saves us also instructs believers to live a new way, a godly way, verse 1 of chapter 1. One, uh, one Christian writer says, We cannot truly claim to be someone who has received God's grace, whose life is not being transformed by God's continued training grace. I like that phrase. I've never heard of that training grace before. That is it's a nice phrase, isn't it? We cannot truly claim to be someone who has received God's grace, whose life is not being transformed by God's continued training grace. And Paul tells us that this change in behavior is rooted in the cross, verse 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good, eager for godliness. It's built in the cross, in the roots of the gospel of what Christ has done for us. That is why we should be responding in the right way. That is why our behaviour should be in line with what we believe. But also, the expectation, verse 13, of the blessed hope that every believer has. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ. That should be our motivation for holiness, shouldn't it? Alone, Jesus is coming back. What's he going to find when he gets here? Is he going to find a church that's all over the place, living lives that are just not consistent with the gospel? Or is he going to find a church trying so hard to grow in godliness? Yes, making mistakes, but acknowledging their sinfulness and seeking for God's strength. I think Paul talked about that last time. Sunday, didn't he, in the morning. We are holy, but we are called to holiness. So our behavior is because we are rooted in the gospel, in the cross of what Christ has done. But also in verse 13, as we wait for Jesus to return. And we get this wonderful verse, don't we? In verses 11 and 12, this link, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us, this grace that God has given us, teaches people who have changed their lives through the gospel, whose lives have been changed through the gospel, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this precious, in this present age. I think verse 11 is not about universalism as lots of people uh, try to take it to mean that all people will be saved. Paul doesn't mean that. It would contradict his uh, theology in his other parts. Verse 11, I think, means simply that salvation has been offered to all people of all nations. The gospel has come. Jesus has come as a light to the whole world. But at the end of the day, Paul is saying that saving grace says no to sin and yes to godliness. And finally, Paul gives Titus this encouragement in verse 15, this summary command. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. I've said it before in some of the illustrations that I've used in today's society, that if someone holds to absolute truth, they can accept to get stick for it. They can accept to expect to be rejected for it, even to be despised for it. And Paul knew that as he was teaching Titus, encouraging Titus. Encourage and rebuke. Teach with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. You see, Titus faced the same problem that many Christians face today, but Paul still says to teach the truth because he is teaching with the very authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, our true King. You know, I think we're more in need in the church today for clarity, clarity. The church needs clarity. We need clarity of what is truth, of what is truthful. We need the truth to be more clear for the church worldwide. And we need certainty of apostolic truth in the church. It's sad to say, but the reality is that the church worldwide, we're an ungodly church you know, that behaves in an ungodly way. The world, what does what's the world say when it sees the church? What does the world say when it sees a church that does not practice what it preaches? That does not behave in the way it says that it believes. You've seen it, I've seen it, we're all guilty of it. But at the end of the day, Paul is encouraging Titus to teach this church, and we are being encouraged today to live lives that are consistent with the gospel, consistent with the Lord Jesus, our King. We're encouraged to live lives, to to behave in a way that will actually sort of bring light to the Gospel, bring light to what we believe, that others will see us and see our difference, to see that we are different than the rest and say, what is it about you? When was the last time somebody said, why are you so different? Happened to a friend of mine. Caught him off guard. He didn't know what to say. He said, I'm a Christian. Well, just because you're a Christian, why? But he was able to explain the gospel and how the gospel changes. If the gospel isn't changing us, then where, as I said last week, where is our hope of eternal life? Because the truth of the gospel leads to godliness. Why don't we just spend a few moments reflecting maybe how we might need to respond to God's word tonight. Maybe we might need to say sorry to God and ask for his help. Maybe we could pray for somebody to keep going in the faith. Let's just spend a few moments now.